It's a joy and honor to be here. I was glad Pastor Luke uh, called me. I know a few times he'd asked me and it didn't work out, but uh, this weekend it worked out. Um, wish my family could have come, but uh, we have family camp going on, and so they're engaged in that, um, helping out with that, and so uh, you got me. <laughs> um, I just really appreciate being here. It was great to pray this morning with the Sunday school class that was here. Um, this church has deep roots in faith in God, and it's just an honor to be here with you in that place. And deep connection to Menno Haven. And, and so I just want to name that, that. I know I think the first board chair, was it Joe Massonary, was from here? Uh, and uh, other, many, many others over the time. Uh, good to reconnect with Eli Schrock as a former summer staff. Um, but yeah, thank you for your, your faithfulness and in, in support of Menno Haven. But I'm not here to talk about Menno Haven. Uh, I'm just going to share what the Lord put on my heart, and hopefully it can resonate with you. And if not, great. You got it all figured out. <laughs> Do any of you worry? I know I worry about my kids. Maybe you worry about kids, your grandkids, or maybe you worry about parents. Uh, maybe you worry about your health or the end of life on earth. Maybe you're a young family and worry about debt or making the rent or uh, next mortgage payment. Or maybe you worry about the political climate or the financial climate we're in. Or maybe you worry about natural disasters or the Warmer than uh, typical winter or drier than typical spring? And if you haven't thought about those things, I'm sorry that I brought them to your attention. <laughs> I know I can worry about so many things. The safety of guests and campers, the finances of Menno Haven's ministry. Are the buildings in good repair? Is the gospel message being presented in a clear, concise way with opportunity for response? That's what I tell our summer staff. It's a successful summer if it's safe, fun, and the gospel presented. You can do a lot with that then. Do we have a mature, Christ-centered summer staff to lead our youth? Are we prepared for the next 10 years of ministry to continue to be relevant? Is the current year-round ministry team unified in purpose that the Lord has called us to? Is the latest project on schedule? Are the finances covered? Are the staff and volunteers able to uh, come and be safe? And that doesn't even begin to touch on my personal life. How are my children doing? Are they healthy? Are they growing in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ? Are they learning in school? Are they safe when they're out of my care? And my 15-year-old just started driver's ed. <laughs> How is Sheena, my wife, doing? Am I giving her the love and attention she needs and deserves? Am I honoring God with my finances? Am I preparing for retirement wisely? What if, what if, what if statements can overwhelm you? I don't know if any of you read a book or a series of books uh, called Choose Your Own Adventure. Anybody read a Choose Your Own Adventure? They were popular in 1979 to 1999. Um, uh, there were 250 million copies worldwide that were translated into 38 languages. The original classic Choose Your Own Adventure series contains 184 titles authored by 30 different writers. The books were set in locations around the globe, in outer space, under sea, and more uh, distinctly imaginative fantasy worlds. Over the course of its publication, Choose Your Own Adventure featured every known literary genre. And so for those of you that don't know, Choose Your Own Adventure is a book, and you read along, and then at maybe page four it says, do you turn left and go up the stairs, or do you turn right and go down the stairs? And if you turn left, you go to page 10, and if you turn right, you go to page 20. So all throughout this book, you get to these points of choices, and you choose the adventure, and there's multiple endings at, at the end of it. 
I've been challenged that I think too much, and that's both a blessing and a curse. To think about lots of options, the puzzles that need to be solved, it's a consuming in nature. And it can captivate you to the point of stagnation. I'm reminded in 1 Samuel 13 and 14 of Jonathan and his father Saul. Jonathan and his faith he had in God. So what was the difference? This father and son, two responses uh, when they were, were uh, faced with a choice. Saul's response? chose to sit under a pomegranate tree and wait. He had all the power, the wealth, and the authority, but he sat in action. Whereas Jonathan, his son, in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. He encourages his armor bearer to go with him. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. To me, it seems that we move slower the more we have to lose. The blessings in life become anchors that hold us back from following God without reservation. And to me, that was very much the case when my daughter was born. All of a sudden, I felt that impact. Whoa. And I was unsure what to do. Continuing to come to the Lord. But that's another story, another sermon. Um, Are we choosing to be like Saul or Jonathan? In this fear-filled world and times we live in, it makes me drawn to the question, what is the abundant life that Jesus called us to in John 10.10? I love looking at different versions on how they describe that. The the NIV, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And the New Living Translation says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The message says, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I can dream a lot. How about you? The NRSV, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what are the narratives of life that we tell ourselves, either in the busyness or in the quiet? My wife Sheena and I went to a conference uh, probably 15 years ago now called Storyline Conference. In it, the speaker, the author, had written an autobiography about himself. And then he was approached by these movie directors saying, hey, we want to make a movie about your book, basically your life. And so they started meeting and talking and going through this process. Throughout the process, he realized that they really wanted to change so much about his story that he's like, is that really me? Is that anything about me? And so he was just kind of curious about this. It fictionalized so much that it, it wasn't him. And so he got diving into what makes a good story, what makes a good movie, what makes a good book that you want to turn the page. And therefore, what makes a good life? When we sit before the Lord, what is he going to say about our life? So he basically boiled down to the, with a story has a character with an ambition that really wants something and is willing to overcome conflict to get it. So he broke this down in the story. If anybody's ever studied story, it's fascinating. But it also will ruin every single movie and TV show you watch. So just a warning. <laughs> For my wife and I now, we can just like, oh, yep, that's who did it. You can see it. You can see it clearly when you look at that lens. But it has become a lens that Sheena and I ask, would this be a better story or would this, as we're raising our two kids, Lydia and Caleb? 
In the last month, um, we went up for Easter uh, to my brother in North Dakota, and we decided to swing through South Dakota. Hadn't been to Mount Rushmore with the kids or the Badlands. And as we were looking that up, my, love, my wife loves to research stuff, and so she's like, the best thing to do is to do a sunrise over the Badlands. How early do you need to get up to see the sun? <laughs> very early, very early is the answer. But we did it. We got out there before a crack of dawn. There was not a single daylight in sight. But we went to a particular spot, and I tell you what, every moment, God was painting a new picture across that glorious landscape. It was amazing to see him recreate it from the darkness into the light. So we did that. Our kids were not happy at first, but in the end, they were delighted. Wow. They'll, they'll remember that for years. The other thing was the spring. The bugs aren't out yet. And we're like, what should we do? Oh, movie night as a family. We could sit inside or we could borrow Camp's projector and project it on the garage and be outside, right? I'm always encouraging people to get outside. <laughs> but by the time dark hit, we're like, I don't really want to go outside. <laughs> but we did it. We, we looked at each other and we knew the answer. What's going to make a better story? What will our kids remember? And my son loves sound, and so he had it all set up and ready to go. <laughs> the third thing was my daughter's really plays French horn and really interested in music. And we found out that there was a solo French hornist going to be in Muscatine Symphony about an hour and a half away from us. It's a busy schedule. How did we fit this in? But to, to show her the care in that, and, and by the time we came back, it was worth it. I was also preaching that next Sunday. It was a Saturday night, and we got a flat tire in Quad Cities on the way home. It was not a good rain. It was anyway. But it's a story. It's a story, right? So as you think about the story of your life, the story you're living right now, what are the false narratives that the evil one tries to lure you into believing? I see it every week with uh, church groups and campers that come to Menno Haven, uh, especially it seems like if they're going through rush hour or had a, a really stressful week. They come to Menno Haven and they're just taunt. By the end, I hear laughter. I see smiles. They've come into God's presence, seen Him face to face, and they are changed. I remember one camper sitting at a campfire. Um, it was after the service was done, and a lot of campers had left just a few of us sitting around. And he said, Doc, this is what camp means to me. 51 weeks out of the year, I feel I'm being pushed down underwater and I can't breathe. Stressful life, bad home he lives in. But he says, camp is the one week where I can stick my head out of the air, take a deep gulp of breath of air, and I can go back under for another 51 weeks. That's the impact that a place like that is happening. When we come into God's presence through the place of ministry at Menno Haven, they are changed. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, speaks to their heart and they get to share their heart with him. So thank you. Thank you, East Bend, for your partnership in making that happen. Did you know that you're a multi-campus church, by the way? I'm serving at the North East Bend campus. So thank you for that partnership. It, it really is. That's what I feel like. I feel at home here with you all. One of the false narratives I want to touch on, though, is that we're in control. If we do everything just right, everything will be okay. You like jokes? I like jokes. I got a dad joke app now, and my, my kids just kind of shake their head when I get it out. <laughs> knock, knock. Control freak. Now, you're supposed to say control freak who? That, that, that's it. That was the, I'm controlling what you say. <laughs> so what's it mean to be in control, to take control of your life? One of the things I like to do, too, is analyze commercials. 
And so just a quick disclaimer, I do not endorse these commercials, but I want to show you too that the world is putting out there and showing, well, we're going to try anyway. I hope it, I hope it works. So the first one here. I've been called a control freak. I like to think of myself as more of a control enthusiast. Hmm. Perfect 177 degrees. And that's why this road warrior rents from National. I can bypass the counter and go straight to my car. And I don't have to talk to any humans unless I want to. And I don't. And National lets me choose any car in the aisle. Control. And so, what's the word? Sexy. Go National. Go like a pro. Again, don't endorse it. I don't have anything to gain by it. But what is this commercial telling you behind the national car rental? Any, any thoughts? We're in control. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to be in community with anybody. I can just be solo. Yeah. Selfish. Myself. Non-relational. Kind of opposite what Jesus calls us, right? Into community. <laughs> Self-centered. We don't have to care for others. Just myself. And we'll look <coughs> sexy, right? We'll just look great. If we rent from National, that's how we're going to be. No, no. All right, the next one. Crazy with school being back, so we are constantly going over our data limit. Oh, well, now all our new plans come with no data overages. Wow, no more overages? So that means... Go on, say it. We'll finally be in control. <laughs> and we're back. Introducing new AT&T plans with no... I love that. And we're back. <laughs> yeah. No more data limits. Anybody have it now? Do you feel any more in control of your life? We just switched in the last couple months to that, and it's like, nope, I don't. There's a false sense of control, but quickly we can return to the reality of our life. And any commercial is going to do that, whether there's Nike or graying hair commercials or anything like that. I've been enjoying a book um, by uh, James Bryan Smith. Uh, he has a three-part series, The Good and Beautiful God, The Good and Beautiful Life, and The Good and Beautiful Community. And he just, I just love how he puts things into words. And this chapter is on worry. Uh, learning to live life without worry. What's the best way to sell newspapers and magazines or increase ratings in the evening news? Play on people's fears, but do so under the pretext of responsible journalism. You know how it works. That little freckle on your, freckle on your arm is a time bomb. Story at 10. Or our exclusive report on why drinking too much water could send you to the emergency room. We are hooked in an instant, aren't we? The media plays on our fears to boost their ratings and sales. Scott Bader, Bader Sayer calls this a fear for profit syndrome. Media executives, advertisers, and politicians use fear to motivate and manipulate. Bayer Glasner gets even more explicit. He said, television news programs survey, survive on scares. On the local newscasts where producers live by the dictum, if it bleeds, it leads. Drugs, crime, and disaster stories make up most of the news portions of our broadcast. But he also adds that between 1990 and 1998, when the nation's murder rate declined by 20%, the number of murder stories on network newscasts increased by 600%. Wow. Wow. The definition, before we examine the source of worry, I want to distinguish between caution and worry. Despite their similarity, worry is not the same as being cautious and careful. We should be concerned about, how, about things like locking our doors, managing our money wisely, driving carefully on slippery roads. This is not the same as worry. 
Worry is what we do after we've planned, after we've prepared, after we've acted properly. When we continue to stew about something, we've crossed into the world of worry. His definition, worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Concern, caution, and care are all acceptable and even necessary, but worry is what happens when we go beyond these and fear what we can't control. I love that. And I don't stand before you as an expert that I have it all figured out, by the way. I'm with you on this journey. Um, seeking the Lord to rely on Him daily. So there are false narratives that Satan and the world try to tell us. Um, it makes me turn to what's the true narrative that Jesus Christ calls us to. And it draw, draws me to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 25-34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who are you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So we continue, and it goes on. Worry, what I see in there is, is Jesus is telling us worry harms our relationship with God. That it causes physical discomfort and destroys joy. Last year our summer theme was joy, and this year it's hope. So we're, we're trying to teach the campers that. We can do nothing better with worry or without worry. Worry changes nothing. So the false narrative I see is if we worry enough about something, we'll prevent bad things from happening. No. Have you ever heard the phrase, worry yourself to death? There's a reason probably where that phrase came from. <laughs> Worry keeps me focused on my own limited resources, whereas trust keeps my attention on God's abundance resources. Worry happens when I'm on the throne of my own life, when I live in the kingdom of me. But trust is when God is on the throne of our lives and we live in His kingdom. That's why the solution that Jesus says to worry is to seek first the kingdom of God, in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For me, that trust and seeking Christ's kingdom comes from a comfort and intimacy with my Lord. It's intimately linked with my time with my Abba Father, with my God in heaven. It's through prayer, it's through scripture reading. Devour His Word. It's through worship, the, through church life, through vacation Bible school, through fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters over a cup of coffee, engaging in mission around you, like MDS that you have in the bulletin. Where is God calling you to that you can engage in His narrative and His story? Trust is when I believe that God is sovereign. Do you believe that? I had a dear friend who, who had an accident with their child, and the way they leaned into God through it all and recognized his sovereignty was a testimony to their faith in Jesus. Songs have a strong impact. Those things we worship this, worship this morning, they take scriptures and our prayers and ingrain them in our minds. When I arrived and was using the restroom downstairs, it was great to hear the kids learning a story, or learning the songs. Um, for, I'm drawing a blank. It's uh, on the Build Your House on the Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Not the Sandy Land. Uh, it was just neat to hear that. 
Thank you for instilling that in them. Listening to Christian radio, those songs come back to you at times of worry. For me, one that I keep coming back to, it's in the brown hymnal or red hymnal, the number 558. I think it's 343 in the blue hymnal here. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I can clearly remember walking out of the office down the path when there was turmoil in my own personal life, when there was stress and stuff going on at camp, and that song hit me. And I just walked from the office to the parking lot singing that song. The Lord will provide those times that you need a song or a scripture to come to your mind. Surround yourself with that. Later on in, in Matthew, Jesus talks about sparrows. Um, Matthew 10, 29-31 Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them will fall on the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. And yes, that's easier for some than others. <laughs> even the very heads on your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So in my nerdy, nerdiness, I like to see how many sparrows does God have to keep track of. So thank you, Google. Thanks for internet. You can look that up. And there's probably more than farmers want around here, but there are 540 million house sparrows on earth today. That's a lot. But it's declining, so good news for the farmers. Um, the hairs in your head, there is 8 point, just almost 4 billion people on earth, according to the Worldometer last night when I checked. Their source is the United Nations Population, World Health Organization, Food and Agricultural Organization, International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank. According to Baum Medical, you are born with 100,000 scalp hair follicles to start with, but it varies with natural hair color. Blondes have an average of 150,000 hairs, and redheads have about 90,000 hairs. Those with black or brown have 100,000 to 110,000 hairs on your head. And Baum Medical should know because they are in the uh, business of restoring hair. <laughs> so how many quadrillion or whatever the number of hairs, including the ones that fall out or turn gray, does God keep count of? And what does that matter? To me, it's Jesus is saying, here's the impact. God wants to know you. He wants to know that you're valued, that you're seen, every little detail of your life. So don't be afraid. Don't fret. Nothing goes unnoticed to him. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 37. And about 30 years ago, it was uh, pretty impactful in my life. Psalm 37, 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. Well, 30 years ago, there was this wonderful godly woman that I wanted to court. And that kind of scared her that I used the word court. I, I didn't want to date her. Uh, and this is my wife, Sheena, just to be clear. It's not some other past girlfriend. <laughs> don't go spreading more rumors. <laughs> but I told her that. I said, I don't want to just date you. I see you as a godly woman that I could see spend the rest of my life with. And I want to court you. She's like, whoa. And so for about two years, I was in this waiting period, and I kept coming back to this verse, Lord, but she's the desire of my heart. She's the desire of my heart. Why? And so I would delight myself in the Lord. I would commit my ways to the Lord and trust that he would do this. But at that time, I did not see God's plan. I was focused on my plan. And as Paul Harvey would say, and now the rest of the story. 
because at that time she was two years behind me in school, there was an opening at Menohaven. And Rod Detweiler, the director at the time, asked me, hey, would you consider coming full-time as the program manager? And I said yes. I had nothing to keep me in that area. But I tell you what, if we were courting, I would have stayed. <laughs> but because of that, to me, it's a calling for me to be at Menohaven. That I'm there until the Lord and the board. I tell people that's two things, the Lord and the board. It's up to them how long I stay. And so I just keep committing my ways. So because the desire of the heart starts with that intimate relationship with God, my Father and Abba. And the trust comes from this, not my own control, but submitting to His sovereign authority. Philippians 4, 5-7, through 7, uh, often people like to start with uh, 6, do not be anxious. Has everybody, anybody ever told you, you know, don't be mad, you know, change your attitude. <laughs> How, what does that make you do? I may, sometimes it makes me want to just dig in and have a worse attitude. Um, so I like to back up that verse to the last half of 5, the Lord is near, do not be anxious. Totally changes it for me. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In this Philippians passage, Paul echoes Jesus' words, do not worry. Instead of worry, Paul urges us to pray. We're invited to turn our cares into prayers. Amen? And when we do that, we put the matter into God's hand. I heard once a quote that when we work, we work. And I'm good at that. But when we pray, God works. I had it on my wall for a long time. Because <laughs> every time I looked up from my computer, I saw it. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Now, that doesn't take away our responsibility in dealing with our concerns. But it places the concerns in the larger context of His kingdom. It allows God to use the resources of the kingdom to meet our needs. When we do this, we discover a peace and a power in a life without worry. To me, I see five, thing, five P's in that passage. The first one is presence. The Philippians 4, 5b, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. His presence is with you. The second one is prayer. Share your heart with the living God in the name of Jesus. He loves to be near to you. Like a father holding a little baby. Just face to face. He delights in you. He wants to hear from you. Petition. Bring your cares and concerns to him. He don't just as, I mean, he knows, but he wants to hear the requests of his children. And then the present, or present your uh, gifts to God, your requests to God. To me, that's not asking something for the past or the future, but it's right there in the present. Are you living there? And then the peace that's unexplainable in verse 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A few years ago, there was a popular song by Jason Gray on the radio called Sparrows. And so I'd like to play that um, near the closing here. could describe the commercials, but I don't know if I can sing the song. (laughs) 
escape the heat. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are loving. You are sovereign. We commit our ways to you. We thank you so much for the faith of this church. May East Bend Church continue to be salt to the earth here. May they not lose the saltiness. May they be a light on a hill to the community around them, to everybody they greet. May they proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ every moment of every day. May you remind us that it's pointless to worry. That we have a desire to be in control, that that's a false sense. Teach us the difference between caution, planning, prudence, and that of fear, anxiety, and worry and stewing, Lord. 
we recognize and name your sovereignty. May we be reminded of the false narratives that the evil one speaks to us and ask for Jesus to come and speak truth to our hearts and lives. And as Paul urges, may we turn our cares into prayers and to follow the calling of Jesus and God's desire in John 10.10 to live in a life abundantly, to have life and have it to the full, to have a rich and satisfying life, to have a real and eternal life, more and better life than we ever dreamed of. Amen. Let it be so in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.